Last week, we introduced this story tool because it's designed to help us really understand and learn to better communicate God's story and how our story fits into his. And so that's kind of our goal with this one. This is the story tool. So we began by looking at God's story, a.k.a. the gospel, right? Um, and there are four parts. And without looking, they're not going to put it up there. Don't let them cheat this time, Dan. Now, we start with creation. Creation, fall, restoration, uh, or redemption, restoration. Um, these are four simple things. They just kind of walk through. And we're going to walk through this. We did last week looking at God's story. Um, but with creation, God created us, humanity that is, and the world for good. He created us for healthy relationship with him, with each other, with the world around us, and even with ourselves. And he called it good. He, he created us for good. He designed us for good. Um, and then we have the fall, both, and that's where both us and the world were damaged by evil. Through humanity's disobedience, all relations that we just talked about were broken, um, and a mess happened. Um, we'll get into that. Redemption. God has gifted us for life in the new kingdom uh, of Jesus. And I've had some ask me, so explain to me this gifted piece. And I, well, let me tell you this. He gave us his son to die for us, Correct so that we could be forgiven. He gave us new life through his son rising from the grave, and he gave us his spirit to indwell us and be present with us all the time. Sounds like gift to me, right? He gifted us for life in his new kingdom. And so it's an already but not yet kingdom, meaning, um, we, and we talked a little bit about this, and we'll hear more about it over the next weeks, but um, meaning that... Um, Jesus has already defeated death and hell and Satan. He's already conquered sin. But we're still in this world, right? Anybody still struggle? Anybody face trials, tribulations, storms? We've been down this road already this morning. Okay. We know that it's not fully done here in our, in our experience, but it is completely done in the spiritual realm. And Jesus has brought his kingdom in, and now he's calling us to expand it We'll get to that. Okay, let's keep going. Sorry. Restoration. And that's where this comes. The kingdom expands as God empowers us to heal. He sends us as agents of restoration to both humanity and the world. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The gospel. That's his story. However, if you couldn't already see it, it's our story too. And that's where we want to go today. Um, if you would, if you have a Bible, turn into Acts chapter 26. And I was asked by a couple people, if we were going to skip all the chapters between where we were and 26, we're not. We'll go back to it. Don't worry. We just, you know how we jump into practice series and that's how it goes, but we'll go back. And so, um, but Acts 26 is where we'll be today. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or with you, uh, feel free to use the one in the rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one with you. It's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of the word of God. And I mean that genuinely. Our church means that. We want you to have a copy of the word of God. Um, so today we're going to look at an incredible opportunity that the Apostle Paul had to share his story before King Agrippa. And I'll give you a little context. Um, the Jewish religious leaders uh, were after Paul to shut him up any way they could. Uh, they continued to set traps for him, to interrupt meetings when he was speaking. Finally, they had him arrested 
and brought before Festus, who was a Roman governor, in hopes that they could get him sent back to Jerusalem so he could stand trial in their court. They were all about just setting it up. They were against him. They wanted to just shut him up. However, when Paul saw that he would once again be treated unjustly, he made an appeal to Caesar, which meant he would be sent to Rome to make his case before Caesar himself. So that kind of got Festus um, out of a quandary because he was supposed to both protect Paul, who was a Roman citizen, and also please the Jews. But in the midst of this, it gave him a new one, a new dilemma. And that is that Festus didn't have anything to write to Caesar to send him there. You know, he was like supposed to send him to Caesar to be on trial before Caesar, but there was no charge that would hold up. He hadn't done anything really wrong that he could see. And he was like, what do I do with this guy? How do I send him? And that's when uh, he gets bailed out a few days later, not Paul, but but uh, Festus in that, in the person of King Herod Agrippa II. He shows up, and he's an expert in Jewish affairs, and when Festus explained the situation to him, King Agrippa uh, wanted to hear Paul. And that's where we find ourselves in the text today. So Bill, uh, he's going to come to read this morning. I want us to listen to both how Paul uses a crazy, even unjust situation uh, to share the story once again, okay? Reading from Acts chapter 26, Paul's defense before King Agrippa. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, and I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often, in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, 
that shone around me and around those who journeyed with me. And we all had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king arose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. Thanks, Bill. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word and for your story. Help us to see how our story fits into that. Um, 
and how your story fits into ours. Um, <clears throat> Lord, I pray um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of, and thoughts of our minds would be pleasing to you. God, um, may your spirit have your way with us today. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're ready to engage the story. Deep down inside, even if we can't explain it, we all desire to be connected to a bigger story, to have our lives make a difference and be connected to something more. That's because our lives are all actually part of a much, much larger story. And there is one dominant story that all of our stories will ultimately find their place in and finally be complete because of, and that's God's story. Every part of our own story and everyone else's is actually a reflection of the story of God. That's how God has designed things. Our life story and all of the little pieces that make it up actually follow the same pattern found in God's story throughout the Bible. So here's how we're going to break this up today. Okay, Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to look at each of the four parts of the story. And as we do, then we're going to look at how Paul's story fits in. And we're going to look at how my story fits in. And then we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. You're not only going to have to listen to me talk today, you're going to have to think and you're going to have to write because there's a part of this that's going to be a little workshop-like, right? Um, it's important. Um, at the end, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask or I'm going to present you some questions that, that I want you to answer. So if you have paper, if you haven't gotten it out, get it out. You could use the card to write on or your phone to type in. Just don't get distracted. All right. Um, but, but in some way, shape, or form, now, I'm not kidding. I know some of you are just staring at me, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, you always say, you know, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. You see, <clears throat> I said this last week, and I'll probably say it almost every time that I preach, I believe with all my heart that the reason that Jesus, that God, doesn't take us straight to heaven when we decide to follow him is because he has sent us, he has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all people throughout the world. He has called us to be his agents of healing and reconciliation and restoration in this world. We are his plan to share the good news to the ends of the earth. So this is very important to me. So if you stand there or sit there and stare, if you stand there and stare at me, that'll be weird. But if you sit there and just stare at me and you aren't writing or trying to think through this, just at least embrace it, okay? Maybe some of you go, man, I already know how to share my story. Awesome. Pray for the people around you. And pretend. Just write some things down, okay? No. Um, but as we work through this, it's going to be important. And it is going to be a little workshop-like. And I think of it, let's just think of this morning as the big story workshop, okay? And that's where we're at. So one thing that I want to note before we get into the four parts, the, the four components, is that Paul not only gives us this model of sharing our story, but I love how he models for us how to share our story. Even in this tense and very unjust situation, he still shows thoughtfulness and respect to his listeners. It's clear that he not only cares about presenting the story, the gospel, without compromise, he's also compassionate and aware of those that he's sharing with. He wants them to be able to engage, to hear. He doesn't let his pride get in the way. He remains loving. We need to learn from that. Because as we learn to present a story, sometimes we do this and people go, oh man, I can't do that because people think I'm just beating them over the head. 
No, you're not. You're inviting them into the bigger story that, that something in their life is already crying out for. But you need to really pray that God gives you a heart for people first. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They, they need that. They need to be respected the way Jesus respects us. And so I just encourage that. I love how Paul, in that terrible situation, still speaks those words. And, and All right, so let's get started with creation. <clears throat> creation. God created us and the world for good. Often, we, people, start our testimony or our story with how bad our life was before we met Jesus. Okay, and that's not wrong. Um, many of us experience emptiness before we meet Jesus. However, it's important that we start with creation and, and we go back to this piece. It's important for us to remember and reflect on the fact that we are created in the image of God. That's where we got to start. He has designed each one of us and he's been active in our lives along the way. Sure, while the, the impact of the fall, which we're going to get to, does leave us recognizing that things aren't the way they're intended to be, it's important that we start here, though, because if we don't have a vision of how it's supposed to be, we'll never have a healthy longing for what's to come. And that's something that we can resonate with everyone about. I think each one of us has been in that place where we look around at the world or we look at our own lives and we recognize there's got to be more. There's something there. We, we recognize we were created for something better than we're experiencing. What is going on? Why does it feel broken? It's because it is. And, and so um, we go through, well, let's look at Paul. Paul starts this way in verse four. He says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews. O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul, he starts with this. He's a Jew. Now, you might think, well, how is that reflecting the, well, it is reflecting the creation of God because the Jews, the Israelites, were God's chosen race in this point. And they, they knew that. They were, there were promises, there were covenants that God had made with them. And Paul, by declaring this, and not only was he saying he was a Jew, but he was saying, I wasn't just a Jew, I was a Pharisee. And sometimes I think we look back because the way we read and the Pharisees were really trying to trip Jesus up or trying to mess with his followers. We think of them as bad, but in, the, in their age, in that season before Jesus, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were keeping the law so much. Now, were they doing everything right? No, but I think in the beginning their hearts were right. But he was saying, I was the Pharisee. I was, I was like the Jew of all Jews. I was, and you all know it. And if you're willing to testify, if you're willing to speak up, you could tell them, you know that I kept the law. I, I did it. And, and then I love what he says because it's really about him being included in the promises that God had made with his fathers, with Israel. He was saying, I'm I'm part of the covenant. Like, that's my, that's my history. God's been at work in my life. I'm part of this. And so with that in mind, let's look at my story. It's a little different than Paul's. <laughs> I wasn't raised in a Christian home, okay? Um, 
I was raised, though, by a mom who loved me and raised me to have compassion and care for others. Um, from an early age, something inside of me cried out for justice, um, for those I saw being hurt or abused or ignored or marginalized. There, there was something within me that, that just said, this is not right. Injustice is not right. When people are treated wrong, it's not okay. And there was something within me that, 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 that I believe God put there. It was part of the image of God being stamped on me. And God also gave me a grandmother who did love Jesus. And she prayed for me and modeled his life before me when I was able to be around her. I am grateful to God for the way that he used the transient life that I grew up in. I've shared this before, but, you know, I went to 13 schools in 12 years. I moved around a lot. And, and I remember for a long time in my life, I would look at that and I would think, man, your early years, I don't, there was nothing good. I am so glad I met Jesus because now there's good stuff to talk about. And you know what? God has done a healing in my life. He's helped me to see that, you know what? He was at work even back before I met him. Even before I knew it, he was present. And he was active, and he was, he was taking the bad and doing things good. He was shaping and molding me from these hard situations, and he was doing it because here's the crazy thing. Here I live this transient life, but I grew up uh, in a way that, that I'm able to connect with people, all kinds of people from all backgrounds and cultures, because that was part of the life I had to live. And now when I'm talking to people, I'm able to do that without any problem. And I know that's not the norm for everyone. And, and so I, I look at that and I thank him for that, you know. Even before I was aware of his presence, he was at work in my life. And guess what? He's at work in yours too. So here's our first questions. Flip over the card. And I do have like a couple extra cards up here. And there's a few here if anybody needs one. We do have. Um, nobody's raising a hand, so I'm going to let you go. All right. Under creation. You got to get out your bifocals if you have eyes like me. Um, it says, when I think about the way that I'm put together, my personality, my passions, my talents, etc., what can I celebrate as good gifts from a good God? Now, I want to stop for a minute because I know some of you, like me, are your harshest critics. And it's hard for you when you ask that question, hmm, what can I celebrate about my personality, passions, and talents? as good gifts from a good God. You may not see it. Maybe you need to ask some people that are close to you because they may see those things in you better than you do. And that's the beauty of community. You know, people around us can often see, wow, you know, and, and maybe ask the people you grew up with and say, was there anything good about me back then? And they might laugh and tell bad stories for a while, but then they're going to go, you know, actually, you're you know, this or that, or, you know, ask your grandparents if you can. They'll tell you good things, you know, just anyway. Um, no, but, but seriously, look at your life and how God designed you, and, and, and how can you celebrate those, you know, even like I said in my story, kind of walking through that, how, how was God at work? How is he designing you? Um, and then what are some of the blessings of my past and my story? Maybe your story isn't like mine. Maybe you met Jesus at an early age, you know, and, and you're like, wow, I, um, I don't know. My wife and I share um, some great commonalities in our stories, but some extreme ones too. My wife met Jesus at five years old. I did not. Um, and, and so, uh, I, but you know what's the same? Is that both of us can see that God was at work in our lives before we met him 
before we were before we really experienced that. And we'll get into it more as we go along. But there's some commonalities. So it isn't really about age. It's about, I think sometimes we try to do that when we're sharing. When I was like 16 or when I was this, we don't have to do that. Talk about life, you know? As I was growing up, okay, so maybe it was the first four years of your life or the first 40. It really doesn't matter. What were the ways that you saw God at work? How has he designed you? And looking back, like Paul, he was looking back while he was telling this story. We do that too. All right, let's move on to fall. And I hope you're writing some notes down because if you're not at least writing something, guess what? You won't remember to do this. And I really want you to do this because you're going to have some homework. All right, the fall. Both us and the world around us are damaged by evil. This is where we explain how we came to see that things in our life and in the world around us are not the way they're intended to be, you know? When we came to realize that, how you came to a point that you recognized you need help from God. Paul, in verse 9, his story, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Now you might say, wow, that doesn't sound... No, the reality is Paul, remember, he's speaking of his life before he met Jesus, is recognizing as one who is following Jesus... I was a hot mess. I was completely anti-God, and I thought I was for him. I can tell you, I've been there, and I've known many people who were there. And, um, And Paul recognizes this, you know, and he shares about how he had lived to persecute those who were following Christ. He shares this, and he's recognizing he's he's. It's the point in that that it's bringing him to that crisis. And let me see if my story might help a little bit. you know, I spent the majority of my, in my younger years desiring to belong, uh, which often resulted in behaviors and attitudes that became a facade or an imposter that I could present to others in order to be liked and valued. Um, this mask that I created shifted based on the situation or people that I was trying to fit into. Um, I was exposed to, oh, also, I was exposed to and dabbled in all sorts of religion, religions and beliefs as well. But eventually found them to simply be adding to the pressure to do the right things, to prove my value as I experienced with all the other stuff in my life. It's amazing, you know. Uh, everything else I ask, I have people ask me a lot when I'm sharing my story and God's story with them. They ask me, but how do you know? I mean, this is Christianity is right. And I'm like, well, have you tried? Because I did. I tried a lot of different religions. I dabbled in, tried to far enough to see that, guess what? It was a scale. And every one of them I found comes down to a scale where I work really hard to do more good than I've done bad. I got to please somebody for something, for some reward. for And all, all it was doing to me was making me feel more stressed out on that hamster wheel, running, trying to prove myself, trying to... And now it's just to a god or gods or whatever. And I'm just... And then I found out about Jesus. We're coming to that. Um, Ultimately, I spent much of my life growing up feeling empty and lonely inside. Um, But I couldn't let anyone even know about that because I might lose value in their eyes and they too would leave me. 
I remember thinking many times that I couldn't continue to live like that, but I didn't know what to do. So here's the questions for this. When did you first recognize your dark side? When did you first recognize that shadow side, that, that the, the person behind the mask, the, the hurting, the, the empty, the lonely? And like I said, it doesn't matter if you were 5 or 50, 4 or 40, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. In there, at some point, you came to a point of crisis. You came to a point. For my wife, through church, hearing teaching about uh, following Jesus, you, you, know, you experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the abundant life, right? You, you even get to go to heaven when you die. I mean, that's good. And if you're not following Jesus, if you're disobedient to God, you're, just, you're turning away from what he's done for you, you're going to experience this life of emptiness, loneliness, wanting, desiring, always wishing for more, and you're not going to go to heaven when you die. As a kid, she came to a point where she said, I don't want that one. I want this one. And she asked her mom, Mom, what does this tell me about this? And her mom shared the story with her, God's story and her story. And my wife made a commitment. She decided to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's, it's very similar to my story, you know, but that's the crisis you come to. You, you, when do you come to that? How did the brokenness of your life and the world around you play out in your story? And, and as I walk through it, you can hear that in mind. This isn't long and drawn out. I'm not writing a book. I'm just telling a few things about life. We all experience real life. We can write this story. You have a story. And if you need help and you can't figure it out, call me. We'll make an appointment. We'll sit down and I'll walk you through it because I guarantee you, you have a story. And by virtue of the fact that you're sitting here, I think it has a good, good part to it. Let's go to redemption. God has gifted, for, gifted us for life in the new kingdom of Jesus. This is where our life collides with Jesus' love for us. And we recognize that he died for us so that we could be forgiven made new, and experience real and abundant life. And we make the decision to follow him. Paul's story, uh, verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground... I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. First, let's just say, wow. Um, wow. Anybody else had that experience? Like you're walking down the road and everyone falls down. And, you know, okay. No. You know, and if you did, please come and tell me. Um, that's incredible. Um, but Paul has this incredibly uh, dramatic moment, but he literally has this encounter with Jesus and he's made to see his sin and that he is living in direct opposition to God. 
But then Jesus tells him that his life is being transformed or changed, and he will now be an agent of healing, carrying the message of Jesus to both the Jews and the Gentiles, which is everyone else. You know, again, wow. He's blowing Paul's mind here, and it should blow ours. Um, it's incredible. So let's walk into my story. Um, first, I'll just say my story isn't nearly as dramatic as Paul's. However, it was as powerful and life-changing for me. Um, my story takes a twist here with, I met this girl working in a mall. And some of you know the story, but truly, I met my wife, uh, Beth, working in the mall, and she began to, as we got to know each other, she began to model and explain the love of Jesus for me. Uh, and, and, and I saw something inside of her that was different than I had seen in all of the other things and people that I had tried. Over time, she invited me to her parents' house for dinner, and her mom shared the story, the big story of Jesus with me and her story and how that fit, and explained that Jesus had died that I might have life and that if I chose to follow him as my Savior and Lord, his spirit would come to live inside of me and I would never be alone again. And I was in. I was like, yeah, right on. And I knelt right there on their back porch, confessed to God that I recognized my sin, and I asked for forgiveness, and I thanked him for that forgiveness that Jesus died to give me, and that I wanted to follow him for the rest of my life here on earth and for all of eternity with him in heaven. You know, I was his. I was his. And he was mine. Now, in all honesty, life hasn't been all daisies and rainbows since then, you know. Um, I've still made some really poor decisions. However, I can honestly tell you, but as much as I have been obedient, every way that I've been obedient to the instruction of God, both through his word and through, <laughs> through his spirit, the leading of his spirit, I have found and am still finding a life of true peace and joy that frees me and free, is freeing me from the life of striving to prove my value because I can rest in the truth that I belong to him. And guess what? If you've made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, you belong to him. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed. Redeemed, transformed, forgiven, made new, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like Paul, our lives have been radically changed. You might say, well, I'm not like Paul. We're going to talk about that. The question's here. When did you step into the story of Jesus and intentionally decide to follow him? When was that? When was that? And maybe it wasn't a day, like for me. Maybe it was a season. And really for me, I think it was over a season. I think it just culminated on a day when I finally fully understood, or at least understood enough. There was still a whole lot about God I didn't understand. And there's still a lot more, because he's huge. And I'm little. Well, not so little. I'm way little compared to him. But when did you step into the story and intentionally decide to follow him? And then second... As you have stepped into the rhythms of Jesus, what work of the Spirit have you seen in your life? You know, one of the things that I love about our church is, um, is we're committed to learning practices of the faith. We're committed to, ready? Here we go. What's a disciple? Say it with me. We be with Jesus 
Become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did, right? So be with Jesus and become like Jesus. How do we do that? Through the rhythms, stepping into the rhythms, the practices of Jesus. And so um, it's, it's incredible to watch as we in community do this. We, we take on a practice and we learn about it. You know, maybe it's praying or maybe it's, it's Bible reading or maybe it's um, this one coming up is proclaiming the word. And so we're prepping you for that if you didn't notice. Um, Anyway, it's, uh, it's exciting, but how, when you've stepped into the rhythms of Jesus, when you've stepped into the lifestyle, the way of Jesus, what work of the Holy Spirit have you seen in your life? And I, and I will encourage you at this point, as I said earlier, we are our harshest critics. You may need to ask the people who are in community with you. Because you may say, I don't even know if I see him. He's there. He's working probably wants to do more in and through you, always. But he's there. And so, so as you've stepped into the rhythms, what work of the Spirit have you seen? All right, then restoration. Let's move on to that. Restoration. Once we experience the redemption of Jesus, he empowers us with his Spirit and sends us out as agents of restoration and healing to all people and even the world around us. Paul's story, verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I guess not. You were thrown to the ground by a bright light. You couldn't see. You're probably going to be obedient, Paul. I mean, it would have been odd if you didn't. But regardless, he did. And then he was obedient even more because he took the message that, that God told him to. And he says, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. In other words, living transformed lives, becoming like Jesus. It's, it's incredible what Paul's saying here. Is he said, I, I heard what Jesus said to me. He not only was redeeming me, transforming me, but he was sending me out. Every one of us is under that same commission. Seriously. Does that mean you have to be a vocational pastor or a vocational missionary? No. But are we all called to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth? Absolutely. And it starts right where you live and then across the street and then at your job and then wherever he puts people in your path. And he may call you to be a vocational minister or missionary. He may do that. But honestly, I think that God wants to use you right where you are. And if you begin to let him work this out in you, you begin to understand this story, it's incredible. I mean, Paul's encounter with Jesus caused a 180-degree turn in his life. He now lived as a person empowered and helped by, the, by God's Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with all the people he encountered. You know? All right. As I thought about my story in this piece, I was like, man, there's so many stories. So I'm just going to share one. Um, one of the ways that I've seen God expand his kingdom through empowering Beth and I with his spirit to be agents of healing and restoration. Um, it was early in one of our youth ministries. Um, uh, I'm going to try and can cliff note this story, but I don't want to lose good parts. Um, there was a family 
that, or a, a young girl that was in ninth grade that was in our youth ministry, and um, she was a new believer. She was just right at the crossing the threshold of giving her life to Christ, making that decision and starting to grow. She was really connected to one of our youth leaders, which is awesome. So I knew her, but I, I didn't know her, know her, because that's kind of how youth ministry is. I mean, Taylor could tell you, it's disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The goal is that she's not trying to be the one to know all the students. She has great leaders that are working with students and other mentors that are here in the church. And, and that's how it was for us. And so I knew, I knew this gal, but I didn't know her super well. And I was driving one day and I cut our mom, her, I'm making the story really short. It really wasn't as bad as it sounds, but I cut her mom off in traffic. Didn't know her mom yet. Didn't even know this was her car, but I cut him off and her mom gave me the one finger salute. And, and a couple days later, I went to pick her and a girl up at her house for youth group and her mom answered the door. And I remember being the window. I was like, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, she was not taking the sorry. But so at the door, she was like, oh. And I said, she goes, I'm so sorry, but you cut me off. And I was like, I know, I know. It's totally my bad. I'm, please forgive me for that. And, um, and it was crazy. Great way to meet somebody's parents, right? And um, so anyway, I mean, she, I could tell. She was like, oh, my word. And, uh, and so anyway, um, Fast forward um, a while, I don't know, like four to six weeks, somewhere in there, not long. We hadn't really been at the church for long, but my youth leader calls that's really good friends with her, that's mentoring her, and she lives um, a couple houses over and across the street. She calls me and says, hey, um, I just got a call from this gal, and she's crying, and she said that um, her family was just evicted, all their stuff is on their front lawn, and her parents just left to try and um, pawn some things to find money to stay in a hotel or something and she didn't know what to do and and so my youth leader says to me so can you do something and I'm like that's when we all want to say yeah I'll be praying <laughs> and hang up the phone but God said you need to go and I was like um yeah I'll be over Okay, we had attended a life group, community group, right? We had attended a life group uh, one time at this point. So we had met this, the, the group one time. There was a guy in our group that I knew worked from home and had a flexible schedule. And I was like, I'm going to call him. And so I called him up. I'm like, hey, Jeff. I said, uh, I said listen, um, this is the situation. I tell him all about it. I said, could you, um, could you help me out for a couple hours? First I said, hey, are you busy today? And I think he was thinking I was going to ask him to lunch. And then I said, well, this is the situation. Could you come? He's like, oh, of course I can help. I said, just a couple hours. Yeah, it was like nine in the morning. It was six till he went home. It was a long day. Anyways, great guy. It was awesome. But we show up, and sure enough, I mean, she's just lost. Just doesn't know what to do. And there's stuff's out there. And I don't know if you've ever been involved in an eviction. Um, I come from a lot of dysfunction. This isn't the first time I've experienced this in life, but never in a role where I was the one that's supposed to do something about it. And, and so, but when they do, the sheriff comes and they bring people and they just throw all your stuff in black bags and throw it out literally on your yard. And it's awful because your whole life's out there. And if you don't watch it, people will just steal it. And it's crazy and it's awful. And it's, it's, it's just, oh, and you feel so brokenhearted. And anyway, um, it was an incredible moment though, because, um, I'm there, I'm talking to her, and I'm like, where are your parents? She says, well, they went to try and do this. And I said, okay, do you know if they're getting a U-Haul? Because that's our next step, right? I don't have a truck. I don't know really people in the church yet. I'm like, you know, let's get a U-Haul. So 
So anyway, um, she says, well, here, I said, can you call them? She goes, I, I, I don't, they don't even know we're there yet. They're out doing this thing. They're going to come back and find us there. So anyway, I said, just let me talk to him. She calls her dad. I get on the phone. I'm like, hey, um, I'm Jonas. I'm the youth pastor at the church that you don't go to, but your daughter does. And um, we've never met. Your wife flipped me off once, but, um, <laughs> you know, like this is our relationship. And I'm like, I'm like, um, and I know this is a horrible thing and my heart's broken with you. And I, I know everything in you probably wants to tell me no, but are you getting a U-Haul? And if not, could I just go get one right now? And he says, well, we haven't even gotten that far. We're trying to pawn some things. And, and he says, why? And I said, because we've got to get your stuff off the lawn. He says, no, why? And I said, you know what? We've all, we've all been there, man, in different ways, and we need help. And I believe that God told me to come and help you today. And um, he says, okay. And um, anyway, uh, long story short, we pack everything up. We get it. We get everything together. We get to the end of the day. Everything's loaded. We've got it in storage. But I have this dilemma. They have a little bit of money. They've hawked some really expensive baseball cards, some things, treasures that they've had along the way. They have enough money for a night or two in a hotel. And I'm like, this is ridiculous for me to say, go spend your money on a hotel. You know, it's like when somebody comes to you hungry and, you know, you say, be warm and well fed. See you later. You know, no, we can't do that. And God said, you know what you need to do? And so I was like, oh, Lord. We lived in a tiny little bitty, what was called a cluster home. It was like this little, literally, like half basement, half level, half level, you know? It was like bedrooms and a kitchen. I mean, it was small because Colorado is expensive. And, and so there we were, and I was like, I mean, I called Beth. I'm like, hey, babe, um, this is the situation. She's like, I wondered what was going on. I said, yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know what to do with them. And I feel like, God, she goes, yeah, you do. She goes, just bring them. We'll figure it out. And so she took our, both of our girls and pushed them over into one room so that uh, the young lady would have a room. And then her brother stayed on the couch. Her younger brother stayed on the couch down in the basement. With, I mean, this was a rough finished basement. It wasn't even finished finished. But they were thrilled. They had a place to stay. It was incredible. Fast forward about a month, they've, maybe six weeks they've been living with us. It's, it's a while. Um, but... Um, I come home from work one day and I walk into the house and when you walk into our house, you walk into the house because it's like all there, you know what I mean? And so, except for the bedrooms and so like they're in the kitchen, but I walk into a room filled with joy and I'm like, I'm used to this heaviness, this downcast looking for, I'm like, what's going on? And Beth says, well, um, they have something they want to share with you. And so dad says to me, he says, well, um, I guess the best way to say it is you have a new brother and sister. And I went, what? And he says, we, we actually just made a decision to, to um, follow Jesus. And we've given him our lives. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I mean, we've been living in community, and it's been lots of conversations and lots of unpacking dysfunction and caring for each other, and it's been wild. And so then her little brother is coming home from school, and as he comes in, they share with him, and he's like, I don't even know what that means. And I said, well, do you want to talk about it? He says, sure. I said, well, let's go for a walk. So I shared the story with him, right? And, and as I do, he begins to go, oh, that totally makes sense. I'll never forget. I mean, here he is, a 10-year-old kid, and he's like, and you know what? What I saw in my mom and dad, that's what I want. 
And I was like, right on. And so we prayed that day, and it was cool, and, and their family. And now um, mom and dad are both in heaven early. And uh, <laughs> it is incredible. Um, wow. Um, it was a journey. And, um, but God used us just because we said yes. There's nothing magic about us. Like Paul, he was obedient to do what God called him to. As you prepare your story, I'm, I'm warning you, I'm warning you that he will give you opportunities, privileges, even responsibilities to share your story and his story with people, to live out that story. The final questions here with restoration are how has God used your personality, gifts, uh, and connections to bring healing to the world around you? What are some ways that you've experienced the forward move of the kingdom in and through your life? And you just heard one story in mine, and we all have little ones. I mean, it could, it's just all the different ways that God works in us. He's designed you, and he's calling you, and he wants to send you. You see, when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we commit to being followers of Jesus, it's not over there. It really begins there. Like he says, awesome, now I'm restoring you and going to use you to restore this world. And that's the abundant life. I mean, when we say yes, wow, you know, wow. Um, so, as I said, I am giving you homework. And the two pieces of homework are, write your story. Like I said, mine, if you put mine all together right here, apart from that long story at the end, it's not that long. Five to ten minutes, okay? And you can do this. And, 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 and it's just sharing your story and how it fits into God's story. And, and if you need help with this, I am volunteering. Call me. We'll make an appointment. We'll sit down and have a cup of coffee or Coke, and we'll talk through your story because every one of you has a story. And it's a story that God wants to use in other people's lives. When you feel more prepared to share it with others in your life, then God's going to give you these opportunities. My mother-in-law calls them divine appointments. God has a plan to use you. He just wants you to say yes. And this is one step of preparing yourself.